Good evening, everyone. This is Melinda with the International Women's Motorsports Association. And our podcast today is a very special podcast. I met Cecilia um, probably about a year ago or so. And she called and talked to me and was telling me about a study that she was going to be doing. And I thought it was very interesting. And I invited her to be on the podcast to share more with our listeners about the study and what she's found out. The, the study is about women in male-dominated motorsports. So we can all relate to that, I'm sure. So welcome to the podcast, Cecilia. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Ms. Russell. I appreciate this opportunity. I uh, want to say Happy New Year. We're actually in a new decade, 2020. So my research is alive and well, and I'm glad to be on your podcast today. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. So I'm just going to let you talk. Why don't you tell us um, why you did the study? Maybe give us a little background about yourself and why you did the study and anything that you would like to share about it. I'm just going to let you have the floor. Well, thank you so very much uh, for this platform. Uh, my name is uh, Cecilia Brantley, and uh, after going to Argosy and, and completing my doctorate in education and looking at business and my background is wellness, uh, my husband, of course, is into sports, I'm trying to figure out how I can get everything together with respects to those various areas and, and see what I could come up with, if you will, when you're in, in school, you gotta come up with this wonderful topic and, and do research and, and, and make sure everything is dotted with the I's and crossing the T. So I didn't do it by myself, I did have help. Uh, with respects to my background, we started, my husband and I, Body Parts Fitness in 1991. Uh, met him at a health club where I was uh, managing, et cetera. Long story short, we've been married for about 29 years. We've got two boys, Elijah and Robert, who are in military school. So we are a unit in itself. And uh, I ended up having exercise classes at this particular place. And uh, the mission statement changed. The next thing I know, I was on my own. We came up with our business name. And we kind of had our niche with seniors and kids together with respect to intergeneration programming. As uh, far as education-wise, uh, graduated at Argosy in uh, 2013, and uh, again, my professor, Dr. Tlaib, et cetera, uh, they all gave me an opportunity to uh, listen to what I thought would be a wonderful topic, and at the time, Don Danica Patrick, uh, she was on television, and I couldn't believe it. I saw only one woman uh, on the racetrack, and I, I actually stopped. And uh, that kind of got my attention. And before I know it, my husband and I, we were saying, well, if she's the only woman on the, on the playing field with men, where are the other women at? And uh, next thing I know, I said, you know, that's a, that's a good question. And so I ended up digging a little deeper and I wanted to focus more on sociology of sport. And I wanted to make sure as a researcher, that I would be doing three things. Number one, informing about action in the field of hegemonic leadership. I wanted to prove a study in the theory of women being able to handle risk-taking as similar to men. And then I wanted to make sure that my knowledge in the field of sports sociology was adding something new. 
And what I was able to add new, and I have to uh, go to other scholars, because when you do research, you want to build on what's already there in the library. And in trying to do that, I was able to actually look at what was already done and the scholars that I learned that were looking at women in male-dominated industries, they had their research with a topic that said, why do women take fewer risks than men? And that piqued my interest. And I was looking at the scholar Harris, Jenkins, and Glasser from 2006, who made that statement in their research that was published internationally. And they looked at leadership, identity, influence, and power. And they were saying that women really aren't looked at as capable gender for handling male-dominated tasks. So I had the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and I said, this is not true. But in order to make a statement, you have to back it up with some type of evidence. And what better way to do that and look at women in male-dominated motorsports? Now, you might ask, why did I choose that? Well, if I'm going to prove a theory, which are a couple of them, and the first one is that women do take risks similar to men, and in some instances, Ms. Russell, they take greater risk. Mm -hmm. Now, why would I even have that as my hypothesis? Well, number one, women are childbearers. They take care of the home. They also work. And they also have to try to help out in any other areas when they are called upon. So you're looking at women being able to multitask and handle various things. But the question is, what makes them uh, risk takers? And why would you say they take more risk? Well, when I looked at all of the different sports, you have boxing, you have hockey, you do have extreme sports. And the platform that I chose was motorsports because during my research, we had about, I would say, uh, several deaths that had occurred in the motorsports industry. And that was very alarming. And when you look at risk, you wanna say, what is the highest risk? Now, would you agree that the highest risk when you're involved in an activity willingly and they tell you, okay, are you sure you want to do this because there is a possibility that you could die? And would you agree that that might be a, 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 a apex of saying, okay, this is very risky? Absolutely. That's what I said. I, 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 I just felt like, well, these women... They know the inherited risk. However, they have a desire that is leading them nevertheless with this interest. And then another hypothesis outside of women take similar risk, if not greater risk, is also with the respects of their leadership and being role models for youth. 
you do have youth in my research because women are nurturers, they actually give their nuances with what they're interested in, which is motorsports, and the youth get an opportunity to be exposed, to be exposed at a very early age. I mean, we have in our research uh, women that are in the co uh, cockpit, we have women that are in uh, the back office in terms of, um, you know, uh, NASCAR. And of course, we have uh, women in the uh, crew pit, if I didn't mention that. But my point is, when they start out very early being exposed to this type of industry, they get a chance at a very early age to express their interest in going into uh, motorsports. So I want to basically say that today my research is actually even better because we do have now uh, several women organizations. We have the Me Too movement. We have the Women's March. Uh, we have your organization, of course. And uh, we do definitely um, have an opportunity now to see what is the status now that women are more exposed than ever before and given the opportunity to perform at such uh, a high level. Um, and when you talk about a high level, you want to say what is the highest level of performance in anything? Well, again, I'm looking at the word hegemonic and that word itself uh, Ms. Russell is actually looking at the dominance, the male dominance, and the value skill that is sanctioned by certain attitudes. And the attitudes that hegemonic preface is aggression. Now, in my research, the women advised me and they said, no, 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 we do not feel that we are aggressive. We feel that we are assertive. So the women's voice gives me a chance to not only say what the literature is saying, but it gives me a chance to correct it if necessary based on what the women are actually saying that are involved of those actual activities. Again, motorsports. Uh, in terms of the word hegemonic, it is a Greek word and it does mean leader. It does mean power, it means dominance, and it means um, that you are very, in this case, assertive versus aggressive. Now, all of those things are very important, but let's face it, those things can be taken positively or negatively. And my research exposed the negative aspect of it, and the negative aspect of it is what other scholars have previously said about women in quote-unquote hegemonic environments. And what they're basically saying is that women are placed in precarious situations to handle crisis task situations for organizations. But listen at this part, they're saying that they're not going to last. They're not gonna stay at that level of leadership too long. And so that's another point in my research that I have to tackle. And that is the women in my study, they did exhibit handling crisis task situations because when you're on the playing field, whether it's in the office, whether it's a, the, the, the cockpit crew, or whether you are um, you know, helping out in a, a male-dominated environment, 
you actually are competing and you're competing at a very high level because number one, they're not really expecting you to perform and do well. However, my research states that women are able to handle crisis task situations and they are able to do well. I want to give you a, a quick overview of my introduction. I was in Canada for the Pan Am Games and I was able to uh, speak on my research and, and answer questions, if you will. But this will give the audience, your eclectic audience that is listening now, an overview of various points in my research, which may uh, be more interesting to uh, uh, your, your listeners in various areas. Number one, I just want to make sure that everyone understands my research is investigating agent and again, the word is agent, agent change, significance of female leadership. What type of leadership am I focusing on? The women's perceptions. Again, they don't see themselves as aggressive. They see themselves as assertive. Also, their willingness to compete side by side in a male-dominated sport. Now, when we say side by side, I do admit that there aren't that many motorsports uh, activities or I should say even other sports where women are actually on the same field. And I wanna preface and correct and say that this is true with motorsports. Women do get an opportunity to be on the same playing field. When they put that helmet on, you do not know whether or not it's a woman or a man. Very true. When they, do you agree with that? Very true. And let's face it, when they get on the track, they have to have reaction time, which is very important. That's a very important skill they have to have. They have to have bravery. They have to have creativity. They have to have determination. And they obviously have influence. It's about teamwork, communication, etc. So you look at this industry of motorsports, and I had to basically summarize what that sphere looks like. And you have about five points. It's based on competition, number one. It's based on having a certain amount of skill. Number two is skill. Number three is mindset concentration strategy. When you're on that field, you have to have that locked in. So we're all human. And that's a very, very challenging thing to do. Things enter your mind and you have to be able to block it out because your life, in this case, depends on it. Obviously, winning is a big part of it. But, as you know, there can only be, what, one winner. In NASCAR, you have like 33 cars. So everyone is competitive. Everyone has skill. Everyone has certain mindset concentration, and everyone wants to win. The bottom line is that this is all built from the underpinnings of taking risk you know that when you get on that field, there is a possibility that it can be a fatal outcome. Yet, you're still pursuing your interest and your desire for being there at that time. So that's built for the underpinnings of risk-taking. Unfortunately, the persistence of women participating in hegemonic domains, such as those represented in my study, it does cause cultural 
and identity inequality on and off the track. Women are not looked at as capable um, genders to be in this particular environment. So my research, I had to find what would talk about this congruency of a woman is in a place where they're not really looked at being accepted. And that particular theory or literature, if you will, is perfect. It's called role congruency theory. And role congruency theory, for me, it looks at the presence of women's performance and whether or not they're stable decision makers and effective leaders in this environment. So I want to repeat that. When you're looking at a woman in a hegemonic environment, what points stick out that others, when I say others, is usually the male counterpart. What are they looking at? Well, can they perform in this environment? Are they stable, effective in their decision making? And overall, are they good leaders in this type of environment? Now, when I say in this type of environment, I want to preface hegemonic again. Hegemonic is referring to a male-dominated environment. I mean, let's, let's think about that. There's a woman, and the woman is the only one in that environment, the only one. And she is uh, performing in that environment. And that's a lot of pressure. I mean, how do you feel about that? If you were in that type of environment, would you feel pressured? Oh, absolutely. And I talk to women all the time that we, and we talk about this, you know, you're, you're racing against, you know, men twice your age or a whole field of men and you're the only woman in the class. And, and some men are great and they, they treat the women just like a race car driver, not like a woman. But there are lots of men who still have the trouble that a woman is on the racetrack and that she oftentimes will beat the men and that's hard for them to take. Oh, so true. So true. I just want to add to what you're saying and thank you for your response. Men, if you think about it, they were the first in that field. So we have to give them their respect, they were the first. And what's great about it, like you said, they are the ones that are actually putting the attitude out there where some do accept women and some do not. And for those that do accept women, I do feel that that pendulum is going to move more and more in that direction of acceptance. I mean, the basic bottom line is, can you do the job? Mm -hmm. Once you prove that you can do the job, you still probably will have naysayers. And then you're digging into other issues, uh, race, uh, gender, um, economic status. So there are other uh, forces that are behind it when you check off the criteria of what's necessary to perform the job. So again, yes, there are definitely men that do accept women and there are those that don't and those that do we have to take our hats off to them and say thank you for acknowledging us and having good uh sportsmanship 
And for those that don't, well, women, again, they have to remember their self-value, their self-worth, and not let any negativity uh, get in the way of stopping them from doing what it is that they want to do. Yeah, the, absolutely. This, I talk to I talk to a lot of young girls that are involved in racing. Yes. And one thing that I appreciate is that most times they're working with their dad. Mm. And those dads are so passionate about women in racing. Yes. And, you know, when I when I reach out to do a story or something in the magazine about one of these gals, it's normally the dad that I talk to. And he's Isn't that great. Yeah, I love that part of it. It is so great because men, as I said, they were the ones there, first of all. And when you even have a family dynamics of racers that are girls and, and, and boys, that's so beautiful. Beautiful because they go to the track. It's a family venue. Most of the uh, fans are, are, are women in tow with their kids. It, it is a, I learned that it's a family sport. Mm. I mean, when you're involved in that particular activity, you have to give your all. And it's a, it's a rigorous schedule. I must admit that. It's an expensive industry. I must admit that. And uh, keeping those two nuances in front, uh, getting exposure and trying to make a living at it is quite challenging. Very so challenging. when you have the support of your parents, and there's different levels of support. There's support because they're involved in the industry. Right. Uh, you have support uh, because they do have a career path now for motorsports. I mean, for example, you were at PRI uh, this year, and you have uh, uh, you know motorsports session with um, uh, the Jensen with Karchik. She led uh, that panel. Uh, I was able to go there a couple of years. I got a chance to meet. Uh, Lynn St. James and and also Jesse Combs. Unfortunately, uh, she passed away with uh, basically trying to beat her own, uh, 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 you know, racing um, uh, uh, record. record yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of dynamics there and the exposure is really, uh, to me, getting more and more uh, um, relevant with what's going on today. So the family dynamics is actually what um, teaches uh, the family unit how to handle risk, um, you know, how to make decisions and, and, and go after uh, what it is that you're interested in. And when you have that support, be it your family, your, your dad, uh, your mom, your brother, your sister, I mean, that to me is the foundation for anything that you want to achieve. And so, again, it's, it's beautiful to see um, that type of, of uh, training of a family unit giving one another support in uh, something that's very dangerous. Yeah, and <clears throat> you know what's interesting about racing is that it is more of a family-centered sport than any other sport. Yes. You, you don't often see a girl following in her dad's footsteps in other like stick and ball sports because they yes. just don't. Yes. Um, but in racing, you know, probably eight out of 10 girls that are in racing started because of their dad. It's the most, you know, yes. very rare does a woman start racing 
without anybody in her family racing. That's very rare, but it does happen. Yes. And there are girls who race because their mom did or their yes. grandma did. <laughs> yes. But more often than not, it's the dad and the grandpa. And you know what? That's the positive side of it. Mm -hmm. That's the positive side because they welcome uh, this diversity and it gives the youth that are coming up, the girls today, uh, you know, that confidence that they need. Um, they look to their, their dads for that type of uh, leadership, uh, camaraderie, and it's a wonderful platform um, to definitely lead you in the direction of knowing mentally that I can do this. Mm -hmm. And once again, um, my statistics show that the women are really um, the large viewership for, for motorsports. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was surprising uh, uh, for me as well, um, knowing that the women are, are in the fans and, and, and they're just, you know, having a day of it. I mean, they camp there overnight and they have their, 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 their parties and they get a chance to see people they haven't seen and it's a, it's a wonderful atmosphere. It, it, it really is a wonderful atmosphere. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, you know, men make relationships with, with people at the track. Men become good friends with each other. But typically, I think it's the women. When I interview them and I say, what's your favorite thing about being involved in racing? It's the relationships they've made and the people they've met. Oh, that's so wonderful. That is so wonderful. And I, I basically chose for my field of study, sports sociology, because sociology deals with human behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, you're looking at the interaction between social groups, social problems, uh, social change, and the consequences of that change. And I think the consequences of the change that's happening now, Ms. Russell, is, is, is a phenomenon. It's a phenomenon that women are now really being heard and taken more seriously in whatever that they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, as a, when I say we are referring to uh, my colleagues, I try to look at things as objectively as possible. Um, and I definitely have found my niche as a researcher. And that again is women in male dominated industries. I did when I first started out, I was really focusing on just sports and just recently um, I uh, started uh, looking at other areas of male uh, hegemonic fields in different businesses. For example, you've got construction, you have firefighters, you have police officers, you have uh, those in the military. Well, let's go back to sports. With sports, you have hockey, you have boxing, etc. So my first study did mention other areas hegemonic. However, my, my base was basically on uh, motorsports because I wanted to prove that, and I'm reiterating, women do take similar risk. Mm -hmm. Motorsports, check that off. Right. And women are, again, in some instances, taking more risk. Well, what example do I have of that? I go back to motorsports again. Some of these women are mothers and they are in the industry themselves. They are the breadwinner for the family. And so in that case, that is taking higher risk than men to be in that sport and the child bearer 
uh, along with the uh, breadwinner of the family, that to me checks that box off. And next yeah. you're looking at, um, you know, the influence uh, that they have. And so I was so glad to learn that sociology of sport is going to give me the platform to invite more women today, not only in motorsports, but also in other hegemonic fields to get their voices heard. Now, I do want to share that we need to hear what's happening now since my last research. This was completed in 2013, and Dennis uh, Michelin, uh, he gave me um, the opportunity to talk about my research when I basically was in the, the mix of trying to get participants. And so I ended up with 230. Wow, uh, that's women. great. And I was really flabbergasted. I was like, what? I, I, to be honest, I only thought I would get 50 because for your research to take off, you have to have a minimum of 50. And to be honest with you, when I get involved in anything, I really like to push myself. I really like to do a great job. And I was praying. I was like, oh, I hope I can get 50. And I ended up with two, over 200 participants. And it blew me away, uh, Ms. Russell, when I looked at the demographics. I had ages from uh, what was like 18 all the way to 75. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I just, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. And the good thing about it is it gives me a learning curve to share with uh, the public today. And what I'm hoping to do is to extend my research and I'm working with uh, car chicks and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with car chicks. I am. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Jeanette and I uh, met at PRI uh, 2016 and of course I'm there a newbie, and, and I'm all excited, and I have my research. Uh, I get a chance to meet uh, in person Lynn St. James, who actually was a participant in my study. And so it was a wonderful opportunity, and over the years, I do try to network and stay close to my research because it does interest me with respect to how women are excelling like they never have before in leadership. Mm -hmm. And as I said, motorsports is my sphere, and I'm hoping that my connection with uh, car checks because of their large following with um, their database and my previous uh, participants combining those together, I am extending my research and I would like to um, ask to share it on your link and it's called uh, Women of Year. Absolutely, I would love for you to share it there. Thank you so much. And the acronym is W-O-Y. Okay. It's plural. Uh, it's not woman, it's women. Because I want women of year 2020 to give us an update on what are the current issues facing them today in hegemonic environments. Mm -hmm. Now, I come up with a list, but I don't know which one is gonna be the prevalent issue. So I'm asking them. So we actually have a pre-survey now out on CarChick's uh, website. Okay. If anyone is interested in purchasing my previous uh, research just to have a backdrop as to what we did first. And when I say we, it's a team of people. It's my professors, it's you know uh, 
the voices of the women that uh, gave me the opportunity to get it published. Well, I'm wondering, Melinda, what is what is the the main issue that they're facing today? So we just came up with a slew of them. Is it jealousy? Is it women that are in hegemonic positions, really competing with just each other because there's so few of them in that arena? So that was one issue. Is it sponsors? We know sponsors is a very, very big issue. I mean, it costs quite a bit of money uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, fuel your career, if you will. Uh, I mean, do you want sponsors that's going to just focus on your sexuality, uh, you know, lipstick and, and heels? Or do you want sponsors that's going to focus on your, your talent with respect to making decisions? So that's a double area to even say, well, if it's sponsors, what do you have to say about sponsors? Um, is it equal pay? Uh, let's face it. You know, do you get the same purse um, as the next guy? If I'm not mistaken, please correct me. When you win in motorsports, whoever wins, the purse is the purse, correct? The purse is the purse. Exactly. That's so fabulous. Now, in professional business, that's not the case. No. You have gender issues. And so we want to know what is the main crux today now that we have this exposure of women in hegemonic leadership? Uh, is it being uh, not having acceptance from your peers? Uh, is it a family issue? Is it a problem having relationships because maybe they think you might have gender queerism? Uh, so we just put, again, a list together of probable issues that might be relevant now today, but we're not picking what the relevant issues are. We're putting the issues out there on the table and we're letting the women decide and tell us. And then from there, that will be the new extension of my research where I will basically say, women are here to stay. They're in the hegemonic environment. However, these are the issues we wanna to bring to your attention. And maybe we can come up with some type of practical uh, protocol that can be followed to help other organizations be more acceptable to women in these industries. And so we just have to educate uh, each other and what better way to do that. And like you said, to have relationships, to get a chance to talk and really know the person and share what you are feeling. And maybe the other person, if they don't have empathy, uh, maybe they can have sympathy, but maybe they can get the feeling of what it's like to be you in that particular environment. Yeah, I, th I think you mentioned a lot of the things that I, I think women struggle with sponsorship is probably the, the top of the list, but um, I think those are great, great topics. And of course, you know, I'm sure there's a spot for you to write something in if, if it's not one of those, but <laughs> I think you hit most of them from what yeah. I can tell. Yeah. I, I, like I said, it's going to be interesting to uh, see where the pendulum, you know, falls, if you will. Um, my empirical study, like I said, it did demonstrate that women are handling the rigor of competing side by side uh, with counterparts on, on the same playing field. Um, I definitely want to uh, share with you a new pejorative metaphor. Uh, glass ceiling has been outdated <laughs> for a very, very long time. And it gets to the point where I can't even sleep. And I said, you know what? I have got to 
try to conjure up enough energy, enough effort to spread the word. And I'm so glad that you're giving me this opportunity uh, for Racing Girls Rock because the new pejorative is now Glass Cliff. It's no longer, and I'm just going to say this about four times, no longer glass ceiling, no longer glass ceiling. Two more times, no longer glass ceiling, no longer glass cliff. What is it? It's glass cliff. And you know what that means? The metaphorical statement is saying that women leaders are required to perform in crisis conditions, but they're not expected to succeed in this male-dominated environment. And this was from scholars Ryan and Helslam, 2005 and 2007. Glass Cliff, it's been dormanted. The reason why it's been dormanted is because enough women had not yet, as they have today, opened that Pandora box. Now that they've opened that Pandora box, Glass Cliff, that's always been there, is actually coming alive. Why is it coming alive? It's coming alive because the glass ceiling has been broke years ago. Women are there. Right. Why is it the cliff? It's called the cliff because they really feel that they were promoted precariously. They feel that they are there because they want them to take the fall. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, uh, the motors, the uh, GMC, uh, when they were in in trouble or what have you, there's a line of history that your listeners can look up. When there's a crisis tactic situation, particularly for business, the thread of trend has actually been to put a woman at the helm during this precarious time. And you know why? History says in literature, Women have always handled crisis task situations. <laughs> I mean, they've always multitasked. The problem is they never got the recognition. Right. And now that they're starting to get the recognition, they go, oh, wait, 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 wait. They're just there for this little moment. When this moment is taken care of, we want them out of here. But they're finding out that they're staying. They're holding the fort down. They, they, they take the grunt of the... BS, and at the same time, they perform. Right. So when you hear glass ceiling, think of glass cliff. Glass cliff is replacing glass ceiling. Now, the reason why it's called glass is because, again, it's something, it's a stereotype that needs to be shattered. And what needs to be shattered? It needs to be shattered that these women are at the apex. Apex is referring to their highest level of leadership and wherever that is. And when they get to that apex, instead of having positive thought that, okay, I know this person can handle it. Uh, I respect her. I give her all the support. Now you do have the positive, like we both have said, but my emphasis is to make sure that when the positive is not being exhibited, that we point it out. Mm-hmm. And that when we point it out, we do it as amicably as possible. Women have worked a very long time. And Rosie Revit, uh, back in the day, that holds her bicep arm up with her scarf <laughs> around her head, yep. saying, I'm beautiful, but I'm strong. Exactly. And so we definitely are proud of uh, the research that we've done. And we couldn't have done it with, again, without the subjects in my study. And I'm looking forward to 
uh, as we have deemed it. And when I say we, I'm referring to myself and uh, Jeanette uh, DeJensen, President Karchik. Uh, we're saying that this is going to be the largest study investigative of its time in history. Mm-hmm. Because hegemonic just means strong, dominant leadership in a tough, high risk taking scenario. Yeah. That's all it means. We're not putting the gender in there. Other people are putting the gender in there. And that's why we happen to focus on women because that's the gender that they're focusing on in this hegemonic environment. So to recap, my, my theory says that, and I'm going back to the beginning of the researchers that really gave me the platform to do my study. And that is once again, Harris, Jenkins and Glasser, when they made that statement, Ms. Russell, why do women take fewer risks than men? That gave me the platform I needed. That's not true. And the women in motorsports, bless their heart, they gave me their voice. They gave me their platform to show that this is not true as women bearers. They do the socialization for youth uh, in terms of risk-taking. And the men that have supported them uh, and their daughters, they're actually the true leaders as well. Mm -hmm. So hats off to them. And we know that women can perform during crisis task uh, situations. And we also know that because this has um, been burgeoning for a while now, I'm just excited to see how far it goes in terms of the exposure. Uh, I probably need to contact the um, news stations and say, if anything, even in the movies, can you update glass ceiling to glass cliff? Mm. So my theory says that women are risk takers. And secondly, they, in some cases, do take more risk than men. Uh, What proof do we have today? You have it all around you from the Me Too movement. Um, You have it from the Women's March, uh, just to reiterate, uh, from uh, your organization as well, which I'm I'm glad to be a a member of. Um, I think we have to support uh, one another in our endeavors because it is about relationship building. And so I'm glad to have this opportunity that you've given me um, I know you shared some of your story with me and your background with your son and, and your note cards and, and you traveling and getting the story out yourself. I mean, speaking to you, you have motivated me uh, to hang in there. And, and relationships help you to do that. When you feel down and confused and you're not sure where to go, your connection and circles and relationships give you that motivation that you may need from time to time again. You know, I just, I, this is so interesting. And I, I've just been listening intently. There was no reason to ask questions. I loved everything you shared. And I love that you're continuing and, and going to go into it a little bit deeper. And I definitely want to share that on the IWMA page, as well as I encourage people to go to Car Chicks, um, carchicks.com. They're also on Facebook. Jeanette is a good friend of mine. Um, Wonderful. We support each other's businesses, and um, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to see what the rest of the story is. Well, I am too, and uh, the good thing about it is, 
It's not my story. It's, it's, it's their story. And I just want to, as the researcher investigator, uh, do my due diligence and to represent their voices so that they can be heard and that this research does go down in history with respects to just updating the literature for uh, upcoming scholars in school that, that may want to continue on uh, because there's several issues, as I said, that we just have to rank. And although we're going to rank the number one, that doesn't mean that those other issues that might be number two or number three doesn't still need to be investigated. So I hope I leave a platform for other researchers to come in and to continue uh, this uh, long, long journey. I really do. So thank you so very much. Well, I want to thank you for being with us today. I can't wait to hear what's going to happen and you're going to have to keep us involved and in the loop and updated and anything that IWMA can do to help or spread the word, you know that we're here to help. And so um, just wanted to thank you again. I, I know this wasn't a, a one hour thing that you've gone through. It's been years and years and years of study and talking and research and putting it all together. And so I encourage people to um, get a hold of you and we'll put that in the podcast notes, how they can get a hold of you or find out more where they can read about your study. And um, I just really appreciate that you were willing to share all this with us today. Well, the key thing is um, trying to make te technology work. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we can hear each other and she can see me. I just can't see her. But um, as I said, the recording is the most important. And so uh, some yeah. one of these days we're going to meet in person and have coffee and, and then we can sit down and really chat. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know you go to PRI, so hopefully I do. Uh, if this study is, is done by then. We've, we've just launched it. Uh, uh, this month. And so we want to get some uh, deep, detailed data. So we, we're going to extend it out towards uh, close to the end of the year, but we want to try to maybe wrap it up so that perhaps we can be at PRI and uh, give them the results of the study. And I know you'll be there. Not that we have to wait that long, but goals are important to set and say that's the deadline due date, if nothing else, but hopefully right. before then. Yes, absolutely. Well, we look forward to hearing more about that. And again, I want to thank, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And um, we will um, put everything in the show notes about how you can get a hold of her and find out about the study and how to participate. So, um, yeah, we want to spread the word. Definitely yeah. spread the word. Why W O Y Women of Year Twenty Twenty? Right. Definitely looking at their. Uh, perception and willingness to compete and we do not want to just limit it to sports we want to limit it or I don't want to say limited but we don't want to limit it to sports we want to open it up to uh, business professions as well so that's the difference sports as well as business because let's face it women aren't limited with their capabilities and we hope that we'll be able to represent that diversity excellent very very good good information today um, again, I just, I thank you so much for being, being on the podcast and, um, we will hopefully meet each other in person very soon. We will definitely. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Melinda Russell. I appreciate your opportunity that you've given me today. Have You're a good uh, rest of your weekend. And once again, happy new year's of 2020 decade. <laughs>